Well, good morning, good morning. Uh, happy Thanksgiving weekend. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here at Westbridge, and it's awesome to have you with us. I want to say hello to those of you in our parent viewing areas. That's a great option if you have small children that you prefer to keep with you during the service. I want to say hello to our online campus. Thanks for participating with us through that venue, our microsite. Uh, great to have you guys with us. And uh, a couple of quick things. Uh, last week, we had our legacy offering. We're still uh, receiving donations. So in a few weeks here, we will um, bring you the total on that. But if you missed last week, and you still want to give to the Legacy offering, uh, you can do that. Just mark Legacy on your offering envelope or in the Church Center app when you give or online. And then, uh, man, just a, a reminder, this empty chair service is going to be awesome. We won't have child care for that, uh, but this is just a way to honor those and uh, want, really want to encourage you to mark your calendar for uh, Friday, uh, December 10th. I think that's going to be such a, a, such a, a powerful and moving and inspiring time. So uh, I hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving. I hope you got to stuff your face with turkey and... Uh, see family and friends, and the holidays are always this time of year where we get to hopefully see some family, and uh, usually at some point during the holidays, take some family photos. And uh, I was kind of reminded this week of uh, a great website called awkwardfamilyphoto.com, and I thought I would share with you some inspiration from some awkward family photos, uh, maybe just for some future holidays, or maybe as you head towards Christmas, you could borrow one of these poses. And so uh, here's the first one, awkward family photo number one. Uh, I don't know who decided they should all wear denim shirts, but that was not the worst decision they made that day. Uh, <laughs> that's a great pose. Uh, that's a little awkward. Uh, how about this one, awkward family photo number two. Everyone's hanging on for dear life. No clue why they are clinging to each other like that, but I think it shows a lot of family togetherness. So if you wanted to borrow that pose, we're here to help. Uh, here's another one. Uh, man, mom and dad are clearly having a blast. And their teenage daughter is clearly not. So <laughs> that's just bizarre. Uh, how about this? Awkward family photo number four. I don't know where you can find outfits like that, but man, that is awesome. Uh, please pass that information along if you find out, because really, nothing says family photo like matching plaid jumpers. That's just awesome. And then I love this one. This one's absolutely amazing to me. If you're old enough to remember Alf, Alf. Now, maybe like it, it, some of you are like, who, who is Alf? But man, for anybody that's like 30s or above, maybe, uh, dude, Alf made his way into their family photo. And Alf stands for alien life form. And he was this weird alien that had a sitcom in the, like, the 80s. And so uh, there you go. He's in your family photo. So hopefully that helps you as you head into the holidays. We're always here to serve. And uh, just wanted to give you a little inspiration. And while we celebrate the holidays, I got to be honest with you, I am celebrating something else that happened in the last week. And that is a, uh, a, a resurgence of hope in a Vikings season. Yeah, baby. Now, I'm really sorry to all of you Packer fans, but uh, man, that was a good game last week. Spoiler alert, Vikings won. And uh, that gives us right back to 500. And it got me thinking this week about this rivalry that takes place all the time between the Vikings and the Packers. It's a great rivalry. It's even better when the Vikings win. But uh, here's the deal. I started thinking about other rivalries, not just sports teams, but there's a lot of rivalries that take place in our lives and in our culture. How about this one? Coke versus Pepsi. Big rivalry, right? How many of you would say Coke all the way? How many of you would say Pepsi? 
right? It's a rivalry split right down the middle, 50-50. If you're watching online, tell us uh, what you prefer, Coke or Pepsi. How about this big rivalry that took place probably a decade ago, plants versus zombies. It's a big rivalry. Uh, How about this, Mac versus PC, always been a rivalry, right, ever since Apple came out. Uh, How about this one, big rivalry, Justin Bieber versus puberty. We have yet to find out who's going to win that. <laughs> and then Chipotle versus nothing. Yeah, nothing competes with Chipotle, right? There's no rivalry there. That's an easy one. And there's a lot of rivalries in the world, but there's another rivalry that's kind of taking place inside of every single one of us all the time. And sometimes we're not aware of it. It's uh, something that each of us sort of battle on the inside. And here's what it is. The human heart will always have this internal struggle, this rivalry between gratitude and entitlement. Gratitude and entitlement. There's a rivalry going on in our own hearts between gratitude and entitlement. And what makes this rivalry so unique is that we can see it going on in everybody else, but we're not aware of it in ourselves, are we? And that's interesting because most of the battles that are sort of going on inside of us, we tend to be somewhat aware of. This one's a little more subtle. I know there's a battle going on between hate and love with certain people in my life, and I can feel it. And I I know there's a battle between bitterness and forgiveness, and I know there's a battle between uh, faith and fear regarding certain circumstances in my life. I'm very aware of those battles. But when it comes to gratitude versus entitlement, I'm very unaware of it. It's a very subtle rivalry that takes place inside. And that's why in over 20 years of being a pastor, I've had people admit all kinds of struggles. I've had people say to me, you know, I really struggle with uh, lying or I struggle with anger or lust or being financially responsible or, you know, being a subpar parent or I struggle with gossip issues or I've never heard, I've never heard anyone just come out and admit, you know what? The truth is my biggest problem is I go through life feeling like people owe me. I'm just way too entitled. I've never had somebody say that to me. My kids have never once on Christmas morning said, mom and dad, it's too much. You got us too much stuff. It's never happened, right? It's just, we don't need any more stuff. And so today I want to look at this story uh, that takes place in, we find this in Luke chapter 17, uh, and it'll hopefully open our eyes to this battle that's taking place inside of us and inspire us to become better at expressing gratitude in our lives. It's this encounter that Jesus had with a group of people, and it's recorded for us in Luke 17, and it starts in verse 11. It says this, As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So in the first century, leprosy is one of the most feared diseases that you could possibly get mainly because there's absolutely no cure, there's no way to combat it, and everybody thought that leprosy was highly contagious. We've learned now that it's not as contagious as they thought, but this was the idea, and so leprosy was this very dreaded disease. A person with leprosy would start out with some pretty minor symptoms, and it would start with fatigue and pain in the joints, and then eventually they would begin to get patches and nodules all over their skin, and the lumps would eventually make these people unrecognizable. And they would actually start, start to ulcerate and there would be a foul stench coming from people with leprosy. And uh, they would lose their eyebrows, 
their voices would get hoarse from the, uh, the ulcers that were growing inside of their throat and their vocal cords uh, would, would deteriorate and uh, their, their voice would start to rasp, their breathing would get uh, kind of wheezy and they would lose sensation. It made it very dangerous for them. And so in Jesus' day, the first sign of leprosy was like a death sentence for people. It meant that uh, because they saw this as a highly contagious disease, you would lose everything. You would, you would lose your job. You would lose your friends. You would lose your family. You weren't allowed to be around anybody. Uh, in many cases, they would just go and live in a colony with a bunch of other lepers. And they were pretty much outcasts from society. And if you went into town, you'd have to stay 50 yards away from people who didn't have leprosy. You, you thought the social distancing we experienced in the last 18 months was bad. 50 yards Social distancing. This is the first time it's ever happened. And, and they would be considered defiled. They would have to ring a bell everywhere that they went to let people around them know that they were a leper. The amount of rejection that they experienced alone was difficult to bear. And so here's what leprosy meant. It meant you didn't get to be around your family. It meant that you would lose your job. You would lose your friends. The world as you knew it would come crashing to an end. The only other people that you would ever associate with for the rest of your life would be other lepers. And so here you have a group of 10 lepers. They're together because they're the only people that they can hang out with. They're the only people that they're allowed to be around. And you have a group of them and they see Jesus and he's traveling. And Jesus has this reputation as being someone who can heal diseases. And so they're like, man, we've got nothing to lose. And so they cry out and they had heard stories of being people who had been healed of sickness. They'd heard stories of things that Jesus had done and even heard that Jesus had raised people from the dead. And so when they saw him, they felt that they had nothing to lose. And they cry out to him. We pick it up in the next verse. Here's Jesus' response. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. Which is a way to say uh, when somebody would be sort of defiled or unclean because they had a disease of some kind or because they'd committed some type of a sin, when they reached a point of uh, being ceremonially clean, they would go and show themselves to the priest, and the priest would then approve their sort of cleanliness and say, okay, now you're able to re-enter society. And so Jesus says, hey, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. So Jesus just says, go and show yourself to the priest. And on their way there, they, they take that step, and on their way, they're cleansed of their leprosy. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Now, <clears throat> There's no other context for this story. It's just kind of dropped in there. And Luke tells us this is one of the things that happened when Jesus taught and when he traveled and uh, did miracles. And so Jesus healed 10 people, and yet only one of them returned to say thank you. To which we, we kind of think like, man, are you serious? What a joke that these guys didn't come back to Jesus and, and thank him for what he'd done. I mean, he, he basically gave them their life back. And yet, here's what's interesting about this. I think if we could go back in time and if we could find the other nine and if we could somehow interview them and be like, guys, you know, what's your problem? Aren't you thankful for what God has done? Aren't you thankful that Jesus healed you? Do you know what I think their response would be? I don't think their response would be like entitled or ungrateful or uh, just dismissive. 
I honestly think if we could interview each of these nine guys, they would go, absolutely, I'm grateful. I'm completely thankful. Do you... He gave me my life back. I mean, are you kidding me? When Jesus healed me, he, he gave me my family back. He gave me my career back. He gave me my friends back. My whole life returned because of Jesus. I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. As a matter of fact, my life is overflowing with gratitude. I, I, I was basically in the pit of despair. I was basically, for all intents and purpose, dead. But man, he, he gave me my life back. And my guess is if you got to talk to the other nine lepers about their experience, they wouldn't realize that there was an unclosed loop in the story. They probably wouldn't even realize it because in their hearts, they were very, very, very grateful. But here's the problem. They never took the time to express it. This isn't necessarily a story about nine ungrateful men. This is more of a story about nine men who didn't take the time to express their gratitude. And if we took the time to really reflect on that, and we would realize this is not just a problem with nine lepers in this story. This is kind of a human problem, isn't it? Because there's things that you're grateful for, there's things that I'm grateful for, that deep down I'm like, man, I'm so glad about this. I'm so thankful for this. But I never took the time to express my gratitude to that person. It's why next month on Christmas morning, for those of us with young kids, after the uh, gifts are opened and everything's done, every parent says to their young children these same four words, what do you say? Oh, that's right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right? Because sometimes young kids have to be reminded, what do you say? What do you say? Because it's human nature, because even though they're grateful for the things that they've received, it's sort of human nature to not always express that. But here's the problem. As we get older, we don't have mom whispering in our ear. <laughs> what do you say? What do you say? And so even though we feel gratitude in our hearts for many things, we forget to express it because life is busy and we're moving quickly from one thing to the next and there's a lot going on in our minds and our schedules are busy and there's not much margin and uh, all of a sudden we just sort of continue to live life and we don't even think about it. And here's the problem with that. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. Unexpressed gratitude communicates ingratitude. Unexpressed gratitude communicates this. I'm entitled to this. I, I deserve this. I expected this. And please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Unexpressed gratitude is still real gratitude. It, it's just like, I, I feel grateful. I believe I'm grateful. I'm happy for what happened, right? I appreciate the thought. I love the gift. That's all very, very real. But because I don't express my gratitude, it communicates ingratitude to the person on the other end. And all of us have experienced this. Some of you maybe even experienced this in this last week. Maybe you made a, a big meal for the family and you're working hard on it, right? And, and you got all the, the turkey and all the fixings and all the trimmings and you set the table nice and, and then you call everyone to come and eat and there's a football game on and so they don't hear you the first time and they're watching football and and, and so you call again and finally everybody makes their way up, but the football game is still on in the background and somebody checks their phone during the meal and all of a sudden, like 20 minutes later, uh, you know, the bones are picked clean and people get up from the table and walk away again. And it's just like that, it's over. And nobody, nobody says thank you and nobody offers to help with the dishes and people sit down again and you're thinking to yourself, what in the world is going on? I worked so hard over this. And, and you get upset because you think everyone's ungrateful. But if you asked, don't you appreciate this? They would say, absolutely. Man, thank you so much. Everything was delicious. How can I help? 
It's just, they really do appreciate it, but because they never communicate their gratitude, it appears that they feel entitled. It appears that they're ungrateful. And I think all of us would agree that forgetting to say thank you for one meal isn't the greatest issue facing our world today. But falling into a pattern of not saying thank you really is a big deal because over time, when we fail to express gratitude on a regular basis, you actually develop a, a sense of entitlement or expectation. And over time, if you forget to express gratitude often enough, others perceive you that way, that you're someone who just expects things, that you're someone who's just entitled, and you, they begin to feel rejected or to store up bitterness or resentment in their hearts toward you. And that's just normal human reaction, right? When someone expresses sincere thanks over something, it's like, oh, yeah, no problem. I want to do that again because like, we're like acceptance magnets, right? And when we do, we want to do it again. But when someone doesn't express gratitude, when someone uh, might be genuinely grateful, but they don't express it to us, suddenly we're like, see if I ever do that for them again. And that's just human nature. And that's why Paul writes this very practical challenge in his letter to uh, people living in Thessalonica in the first century. He says this, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Be thankful in all circumstances. In other words, develop the habit of appreciation in every area of your life and find ways to express it outwardly. And if we're going to develop an attitude of gratitude, then we've got to find ways to express our gratitude to people out loud with words, with thank you notes, with doing something for someone else. And let me tell you why that matters. Let me tell you why that's so important, okay? I think there's some big benefits to expressing gratitude, not just feeling gratitude, but expressing gratitude. The first is this. I think it helps us maintain the proper perspective. When you think about it, if gratitude is not a habit in your life, then it's very easy to lose perspective and to become discouraged over every little negative thing that happens to you. Think about this. If you've got cable TV with 150 channels and you've suddenly got to cut it back to rabbit ears, you're not going to be very happy. It's going to be a challenge to be thankful for everything that you actually do have. If you've driven a Jaguar and for some reason you've got to cut it back to driving a Hyundai, you're like, oh man, this is such a bummer. But you're not going to be aware of the fact that 92% of the world doesn't own any type of car at all. Because that's just not on our radar, because it's, it's about what I've lost. It's about what I've had to cut back to. If you stayed at the Ritz-Carlton, it's difficult to go to the Motel 6. It's just human nature, but it's not the end of the world. And grateful people seem to realize that. Uh, a few years ago, in 2016, I actually um, tore my ACL playing basketball. And, uh, and then for the next year, I had a surgery, and I had complications, and uh, I had to have another surgery in 2017, and uh, it was just kind of, a, kind of a drag, kind of a bummer. It wasn't like life-threatening. It wasn't, uh, you know, I, I wasn't like um, bedridden or anything like that. It was just kind of a bummer. It was kind of a drag. And there were days where I got kind of discouraged. And then I... I was on a mission trip, and uh, there was a guy who was from another church and another group that met up with us, and he did not have his right leg. He had a prosthetic, and he was also about 65 years old. And he went out with the students every single day, and he worked with them all day long. And then uh, I, we, you know, shared this uh, sort of uh, group bunk house that we were all sleeping in on this mission trip. And it was kind of up these awkward stairs. And so he'd have to, like, kind of get himself up there. And then he'd take his leg off and go to bed. And then in the morning, he'd, like, roll himself out of bed and 
put his leg back on and I'm just like, oh man. And I'm complaining because my knee cracks a little bit when I move it. Like that's perspective. And yet when I hung out with this guy, he was one of the most joyful people I'd ever met. Never complained, uh, never said a word about it, just went lived his life. And suddenly what happens is perspective. Hey, I recognize, uh, when you recognize and you're appreciative of whatever you've been given in life, you develop incredible perspective. You realize, you know what? Maybe I don't have it quite so bad. The Apostle Paul was able to develop that perspective. He said, I've known plenty and I've known what it's like to be without. He said, I know what it's like to live uh, hungry and without clothing. And he knew what it was like to live fed and well-clothed. And yet, because of his gratitude, he developed this incredible perspective where he was able to write these words. He says, I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Why would he say that? Because Paul is saying the number one pursuit in my life is the kingdom of God. That's the number one pursuit of my life. And while I'm here on earth, that's going to be my pursuit. But if I die, then I'm going to be with Jesus, and that's going to be even better. How do you arrive at the point in your life where that's your perspective? For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me, I'm going to live for the kingdom of God, and if I die, it's even better. That's what you call perspective, right? A few verses later, Paul writes this, Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Do you know how often we violate that command? A lot. If you have a pulse, you have violated that command. It's human nature that we complain about something, right? Uh, it's way too cold for this time of the year. Oh, I wish it would warm up. Oh, man, my husband's not romantic anymore. Oh, my wife has no passion. My kids won't apply themselves in school. My parents are always interfering. My church isn't meeting my needs. My small group isn't spiritual enough. My favorite team can't win a game. I'm the only person on the roads who knows how to drive. <laughs> on and on we go. We can, find, we can find things to complain about if we look for it. What if we intentionally, though, went out of our way to express gratitude for the things we have rather than complaining about the things we don't? What if we express gratitude for the good in our lives rather than complaining about the areas that we find frustrating? I think it would change our perspective big time. I, I think we would start to see how good our life is. But it's only when we take the time to express gratitude that it starts to shift our perspective. Here's another huge benefit. It sustains joy in our life. Did you know uh, a lot of people receive so much? They receive a blessing from God, but they never realize it, and they don't allow themselves to be filled with joy because they've never learned to be grateful. They've never expressed their gratitude. All they know how to do is complain. They find the negative in everything, and then they make sure and put it on their Facebook page because, after all, we all want to hear about it. That's what social media is for, right? Make sure you tell everybody how lousy your life is so you can drain everybody else. We often relive hurts in our minds, and it leads to bitterness. But what if we did the same thing with blessings in our lives? Instead of, instead of just reliving the negative, what if we actually made it a point to relive the good in our lives? What if we spent our time thinking about the good things God has done instead of dwelling on the areas of our life where we feel we need more? How, how would that help us to hold on to joy in our lives? 
I think it would lead to a greater sense of joy as we relive the blessings of God over and over. And you can sustain joy in your life by dwelling on the memory of what he's done for us. In, in the Psalms, uh, King David writes this, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all the marvelous things you have done. I will be filled with joy because of you. And <clears throat> this telling of the marvelous things that God has done isn't, isn't necessarily something that he's telling other people. It's like he's telling himself, I'm going to remind myself of the marvelous things that you've done in my life. And when, as I do that, I'm going to experience joy. I'm going to remember all the good. In Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes this, Let the message about Jesus in all its richness fill your lives. In other words, remind yourselves of the good that God has done. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let your, let your heart be filled with gratitude and then express that gratitude, reminding yourself over and over all that God has done for you. See, expressing gratitude helps us maintain a proper perspective. It helps us to sustain joy in our lives. But here's another benefit. It has a positive impact on our relationships. <clears throat> Don't you love being around someone who has, expresses gratitude consistently? Isn't that someone that you like to be around? Don't you want to be the kind of person that expresses gratitude to others? Expressing gratitude has a huge impact on the people that we're closest to because it actually uh, changes us. It actually helps us. The more that we express gratitude to other people, it actually shifts our hearts. And what if we viewed our hardships and our challenges as opportunities to be the men and the women God created us to be? What would happen if we stopped grabbing for what we feel that we're owed and instead just expressed gratitude for all that we have? How would that impact the people closest to us? And you'll notice this with grateful people. When it rains, they're talking about how much the farmers needed it. When other people complain, ah, it's raining, they go, yeah, but man, this is good for the crops. When they get sick, they talk about how it helped them slow down. When uh, they wake up and they see snow on the ground, they quote from Isaiah, though my sins were like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. It's like, come on, you find the silver lining in everything. But grateful people have learned how to express gratitude. And you like being around those people. And the opposite is also true. Ungrateful people can find a burden in anything, right? And enlarge a burden and create a burden in almost any situation. Ah, we prayed for kids and now all we do is complain about our kids. We prayed God would provide a job and now we complain about our job. We prayed for a church family, now we complain how the church just doesn't meet my needs. That's why it's so important to express gratitude, to surround yourself with people who do the same. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. If you're surrounded by Eeyores, you will become an Eeyore. Proverbs 12 says, Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. If your closest associates are grateful people, people who express gratitude, chances are you're going to be a positive, life-giving person. But if you surround yourself with negative and critical people, <clears throat> it won't be long before you'll probably start to emulate them. Wise people bring healing with their words. And one of the ways that we can do that is to express gratitude. Not just to feel gratitude, but to express it on a regular basis. 
the perspective and the joy that flow from that simple practice will infuse your relationships with life and healing. And so here's kind of the bottom line. Gratitude begins where my entitlement ends. Gratitude begins where my entitlement ends. You can't be grateful for things that you feel entitled to. You can't be genuinely thankful for something that you feel is owed to you or that you're expecting, right? You can't express gratitude for those things. That's why you don't send a thank you note to the IRS when you get your tax refund. It was your money. You expected them to send it back to you. And so you don't send them a thank you note and be like, oh my gosh, thank you. That was so unexpected. You expected it. And if we are not careful, we will go through life feeling entitled. I think about when I was growing up, when I was uh, 13, I got a job uh, doing corn detasseling. If you've never done corn detasseling, it's amazing. You walk down rows of corn in a cornfield and just... And you just pop the tops off of corn and you do that from 6 a.m. to about 3 in the afternoon. So I'd get up every morning when I was 13. I'd get up in the summer from 5 a.m. I'd get out to the fields by 6 and then we'd work till about 2 or 3 in the afternoon and come home. And then uh, they don't pay you till the end of the summer. You get one paycheck at the end of the summer. And I don't know if they're just like, these kids are going to just spend all this. This is crazy. So, uh, so you get one check at the end. I thought it was the greatest job ever when I was 13. And then when I was 14, <clears throat> I got a job... Uh, as a janitor, I was cleaning buildings about four nights a week after school. And uh, I was just like basically vacuuming buildings and cleaning and wiping down windows. And I did that for just a few hours each day, four days a week. And then uh, after that, I actually uh, worked at a hospital. Uh, my senior year of high school, I got a job at a hospital and I was doing all kinds of uh, just kind of busy work. And I was checking in people into the ER and I was uh, typing birth certificates and discharging patients and answering phones. And, uh, and then uh, after that, I was an Abercrombie model. Um, okay, well, that hurts that you're laughing, but yeah, I, I, you don't recognize, I get it because they only used my abs, but that's all right. Uh, and then... My first job in ministry, uh, I got a job working in Chicago at a church, and I was, I, I was uh, working there full-time, I, and at the time, I, w- I was like, this is amazing. I got a job out of high school working at a church. I knew this is what I wanted to do at some point in my life, and they were paying me $200 a week. Yeah, to work 60 hours a week. It was pretty awesome. And, uh, but I did get a place to stay. And so I got like room and board and 200 bucks a week. And uh, I was like, this is incredible. Oh my gosh. Like, this is amazing. This is the dream, right? And then I started working at a church. And uh, uh, as I was working at this church, uh, my first actual full-time job as a youth pastor, I started working at a church in Maple Grove. And they were actually offering an annual salary with benefits. And I was like, this is incredible. And then I realized something. A lot of people get benefits. That, that that's actually a normal thing. And uh, so I just became part of the deal. <clears throat> and over time, entitlement starts to set in. Over time, when I, when I first was working as a youth pastor, as, a, as an intern, I, I was making $200 a week. And then my first job, I was making $22,000 a year, annual salary, full-time job. And uh, I was like, I, I won the lottery. This is amazing. And then I started to make a little bit more <clears throat> and started to get benefits on top of that. And I was like, holy cow, this is crazy. And then later on, I'm like, <clears throat> I get benefits with this, right? It's like, it just sets in, right? It's just like, I'm, I'm entitled. In the same way, I think about the cars that I've owned. 
My first car was a 1988 Chevy Celebrity. It was incredible. Bench seats in the front and back. Front end arrived about two hours before the back end. It's a great car. And uh, I had that car from the time I was 16 until I was about 20 before it finally died. And, uh, and then uh, my wife and I shared uh, a car. And then my next car was a, a 1989 black Ford Probe with shag carpet covers, shag carpet uh, seat covers. Amazing. Uh, that car uh, would overheat. And so it was a black car with like black seats and it would overheat and I couldn't afford to fix it. And so it'd be like summertime, it's sitting outside all day. And, uh, and then I was told the way to, to overcome an overheating engine is to run your heater because it blasts the heat out of the engine while you drive. And so as a poor uh, person driving that car after we were first married, I would just blast the heat on a summer day on the way home and just like put my head out the window so I could cool off Ace Ventura style. And then what happened was, you know, we started having kids. And after that car died, I got a, uh, I was driving a mint green Toyota Tercel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Four-cylinder. Pretty great stuff. And we started having kids, so we had to get another vehicle. So we got a Mitsubishi Montero Sport. My wife drove that. And, uh, you know, whoever was driving the kids would drive that. And then we had this Toyota Tercel. And then the Tercel died, and I got, for $10, I bought a uh, Mazda Protégé. A 93 Mazda Protégé. That was the car I had when we started the church. And it was amazing. For $10, I drove that for almost three years. And that's the car that sometimes I'd be driving and it would just stop running. I'd be driving and it would just like, like it was just tired. Like it's like, ah, I'm done. And I would just drift onto the shoulder. And I'd just whisper in her ear, it's okay, girl, you got this. I'd wait a couple minutes and I'd fire it up again and she would start up and I'd put my blinker on and I'd get back on the road. What a great car. And then something happened. We had a third kid and we had to get a minivan, which meant that I inherited the Mitsubishi Montero Sport. And I was like, oh my gosh, this has leather seats. It's incredible. And here's what's amazing. So I started driving that in like 2008 when we had a third kid. 2008, I, I got to start driving the Mitsubishi Montero Sport. And it is amazing how quickly you become a diva. <laughs> In 2014, I went to look for a car because, again, we had, to, we had four kids at this point, and, uh, and my, uh, the Mitsubishi Montero Sport had, had pretty much on its last leg. And here was my, here's my thing I told my wife. I said, I'm not trying to be a diva, but I need leather seats. I got to have leather seats. Like, this is the one thing I'm looking for. And isn't that fascinating? Like, I went from a 93 Mazda Protégé, I went from an a 89 Ford Probe with shag carpet and the heater blasting in the summer with Ace Ventura-style driving to like, oh man, if I'm getting a car, I'd better have leather. Isn't it amazing how subtle entitlement sets in? Isn't it amazing? And there's nothing wrong with having leather seats, okay? I, I bought a car with leather seats, all right? I have full disclosure here. Nothing wrong with that. But isn't it amazing how subtle it is that if you don't continually express gratitude, how subtle it is for entitlement to start to set in. Something that seemed like a blessing, something that seemed like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have leather seats, now is just expected as part of the package. Well, I work hard. I deserve what I have. I earned it. Well, the truth is this, if we're honest with ourselves, 
you didn't determine when and where you'd be born, right? And you, you could be living on the streets of Kampala making $2 a month. You didn't decide that. And I think when we forget to express gratitude, or even worse, when we complain about the things that don't go our way, that frustrate us, I think it's an offense to God. I think it's a poor testimony to the people around us, and it's a detriment to our own lives. So let me ask you this as we close. Who deserves a thank you note from you this week? Who deserves to hear your gratitude, not just felt internally, but expressed? None of us are where we are at in our lives because of ourselves. Uh, there are opportunities in our world. There are, there are people in our world who have shaped us, who have given us opportunities, who have blessed us. Who do you need to say thank you to? We were born into a culture in which everybody feels entitled. In the United States of America, it's difficult not to feel entitled living in the era that we live in, in the place that we live in. And yet we don't have to be the 90%. We can actually be the one who returned and expressed gratitude for what Jesus has done. Let's be a group of people who do everything we can to gain an eternal perspective and find joy in everyday living because we go out of our way to express gratitude. And I got to tell you, one of the things I'm most grateful for, the thing that I am most grateful for is that God sent Jesus into our world. That God sent Jesus into our world to help us restore community with God and with each other. In fact, the scriptures tell us that, uh, you know, we were created by God to exist in loving community with him and with one another. And that's been broken from the first human beings to every one of us that's been broken. And so God sent Jesus into the world to restore that. And Jesus showed us who God is. He showed us how to live and how to love. And, and then he allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb. And when you read through the eyewitness accounts, multiple eyewitness accounts that tell us Jesus rose from the dead, which means death is not the end. There's more to this life than this life. And you and I have been invited to be a part of that. I got to tell you, I am so thankful. It's the, it's the thing that I'm thankful for more than anything else. I'm so thankful that Jesus came into this world and invited me to be a part of his family, as undeserving as I am. And you need to know he's invited you. And if you've never said yes to that invitation, I want to invite you to do that this week as we close in prayer. Let's pray. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I have walked away from you. And I thank you that you never walked away from me. And I want to say yes to the invitation to be a part of your family. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And help me to do my best to follow you to put my trust in you as best as I know how from this moment on. And God, for every one of us, those of us who are following you, we're grateful. And yet, oftentimes we don't express it. We're grateful for the opportunities we have. Oftentimes we don't express it. We're grateful to the people in our lives for the things they do for us and the way that they love us and the way they sometimes sacrifice for us, but oftentimes we don't express it. And so I pray, remind us not just to feel gratitude, but help us to express gratitude on a regular basis. And as we do, may our perspective shift, uh, may we experience joy, and may we be a positive impact on the relationships and on the world around us. We love you. We commit this week to you. In Jesus' name, amen.